You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, From This Day Forward. Whether you are currently married or want to be married, this series discusses three commitments for starting fresh in the fight against marital destruction and unhappiness. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are in the second week of a four-week series uh, called uh, From This Day Forward, and our hope in the series, the reason why it's titled this way is because we want to kind of draw this line in the sand to delineate um, our past from our present, that we all come into uh, relationships with, with past pain and, and we have fresh new pain. And, and it's, there's this line, and when you take your vows, it goes like this, from this day forward. So you'll do all these things from this day forward. And we want to do that. We want to make some commitments. Okay, If we've done relationship, particularly marriage, poorly in the past, uh, we want to say, okay, there's a line in the sand from this day forward. We're going to make f- some commitments. In fact, four commitments. In the first week, the first commitment, what we talked about, is in our relationship, in our marriage, is that we want to relinquish expectations. We want to relinquish expectations. The reason why we said we need to do that is because we all come into marriages with certain desires and, and hopes and dreams, and, and, and they're often really good desires and hopes and dreams. And in fact, I would even say God-given uh, desires. But at some point, what happens is, and I don't know when this happens, I don't know if it's like at the honey, after the honeymoon or maybe six months from now, is somehow, even almost goes unnoticed, is that these, uh, these desires transform into expectation. And so when, you know, when you were engaged, it's like, you know, I'll wonder, and I hope it's this way, and I have these desires. But now it's like, now that you're my wife, I expect. Now that you're my husband, I expect. And the problem with that is it turns a relationship into a debt-debtor relationship. It's characterized by you owe me, and then, and, then, and then I have to pay off that debt, and vice versa. She owes me, and I have to, she has to pay off the debt she owes me. And so the, the problem with that, too, is like you can, if you're in that kind of relationship where you're always kind of negotiating, and like, is that... It's going to be impossible for you ever to really give love and, and receive love because uh, the nature of love is that it requires margin. So like the example I gave last week was if you, um, if you gave me $100, but you owed me more than $100, when you gave me $100, I'm not going to thank you. In fact, I'm going to say, where's the rest? Uh, so, and, and that often is what happens uh, in relationships. Is like we have these expectations, and the, the spouses will give, but that giving is only meeting an expectation. So, the best you can do is ground zero. And the best that you can hope for in a relationship like that is peace and not love. And sometimes that causes people divorce. Sometimes they don't get divorced, but they, they stay at this relationship where there isn't really love, there's just peace. But that's not the kind of relationships uh, the Bible lays out for us, and the kind of relationships are that we. <clears throat> we want. And so we talked about like, well, okay, how do we get around that? So what do we need to do? Well, we need to love like Jesus loved. And Jesus taught us this way. He says, he says, this new command that I give to you, that you are to love one another. Now that part isn't new or even shocking, but then he added this second part, which is as I have loved you. And so we explored how Jesus has loved us. And the way he's loved us is he's given us everything and has expected nothing in return. I have come not to be served, but to serve you and lay down my life as a ransom. In other words, he's saying, in this relationship, you're not going to give to me, but I'm going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to give to you. In the happiest marriages, they come into it with, uh, I owe you everything, but you don't owe me anything. Now, on a good day, this is difficult, even like, well, you know, 
How, how are we supposed to pull that off? Which leads to uh, the commitment that we need to make today, which is to seek God, to seek God. Now, some of you are like, well, duh. Like, you know, like we're, you know, you should have studied hard, Brian. Like, you know, is that all you have? And, but there's lots of implications for seeking God. First of all, uh, the, there are three reasons why we need to seek, uh, seek God. And the first one is so that, because it's the only way that we're going to be the spouse that God's called us to be. In 1 John, 1 John the, the, the apostle wrote, uh, we love because he first loved us. So for us to effectively love other people as Christ has loved us, to be that giving away is that we have to uh, first be loved. And that's what Jesus taught us. And, and, and actually all throughout the Bible, the Bible points to that our greatest need is not um, a, a spouse, it's not romantic love, it's not a career, it's not leisure, it's not kids, it's not anything. Our greatest need is God. The greatest need that we have, the affection that we need doesn't come from a human being, it comes from God. That's why he said this in Matthew 22. He says, but when the Pharisees, heard, or excuse me, this is what's written, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What are we supposed to do? Boil it down for us. And this is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So if you want, if you want to get life right, if he boils it all down, that you're, that, and if you want great relationships, especially in a marriage, make seeking God your top pursuit in terms of energy, in terms of priority. Do this first and do this with the most energy, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the reason why we do this, as I already mentioned, is number one, because it's the only way to be the spouse that God has called me to be. It's the only way that you can be the spouse that God's called you to be, because it's you're needing to love as Christ has loved you. And the only way that you can do that is if you're receiving that love from him. I saw a website that listed out what a child needs from his or her home life over a long period of time in order for him or her to feel uh, equipped to engage in long-term relationships. Are you ready for this list? And see if you match this list. This is what it says. They need their experience over, consistently over a long period of time, respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, affection. Am I describing the home that you grew up in? But you know what? Your desire for respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, affection didn't go away. In fact, when you go into that relationship, you have a backlog of that. And you may not realize this or not, but the person you fall in love with, what you're wondering is, are they going to treat me with big doses of respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, affection, or are they just cute? Like, what is... <laughs> you subconsciously are looking for these things to be in your life, and what seemed like a hug around the neck when you were engaged is like a stranglehold. Um, in marriage. It's like, give me, I got to have this. You know, I want this from you. I got to have this from you. Um, and when you come into a marriage like this, you come in with a, a deficit and, you, and you're, you feel malnutrition and there's this need that you have and you want to get them out of it. And you want to get it out of this person. Now, practically speaking, if you're seeking someone to complete you outside of Christ, this is why we need to see God first. So if you come into relation as a half of a person, and you're seeking uh, for another half of a person, if that's your idea, like this other, some other person's going to complete who I am, you're going to absolutely drain the life out of that person. And, and, you're, and the second thing is you're going to be sorely disappointed. 
You're going to be exceedingly disappointed. You're going to be wondering what's going on. And your future mate does not need a half of a person. Your future mate needs a whole person. It needs someone who is, 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 to, is complete. If you, um, I've said it this way, like if you go into a relationship uh, insecure, unhappy, uh, as a single, you're going to go into that marriage as you're going to end up being in that marriage insecure and unhappy. The spousal love of Jesus is the only love that completely satisfies and has no end. You know, people say, I just want someone to love me for the rest of my life. But if that person does not have nail scars in their hands and their feet, you're, you're going to come up empty. It's not going to be, there is no human being that can fill the love need that you have in your heart. No one can do that. And there are songs, I mean, it doesn't matter what, you know, what genre, what decade you're in, all the songs are full of this kind of language. You know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, there's a song by Chicago, you know, you're the meaning in my life, you're the inspiration. You know, I, I, I want to have you near me, I want to have you, um, I want to hear you saying, no one needs you more than I need you. You're the meaning in my life. And there's the, you know, today the songs are the same way. Difference, you know, you, you love me like you do. You know, I, I, you, there's something about you, and, and I need this love. So love, love, love me, love me, love me, love me. There's something I need. There's something deep in you that I need from you. And these relationships just go from one to the other person, the other person, the other person, the other person, because there's no one who could fill that need. There's no one person who can fill that need. And there's no collection of people who can fill that need. You were never created to be completed by the love of another human being. You were created for the love of Christ. And this, this loneliness, this insecurity, this need for affection, you go into marriage that way, it may go away for a few months, but it'll come back and you'll still be lonely and insecure and unhappy. Marriage does not solve emptiness, it exposes it. When you get married, it will not solve the emptiness in your life, it will expose the emptiness in your life. If someone can't live without you, he or she will never be happy living with you. If you feel that way about another person, I can't live without this person. You will, you will choke, you will drain the life out of them because they were never created to fill that gap of love that you have in your heart. And you will end up being dis- disappointed and frustrated and hurt by that person because you had expectations that they were never meant to be. That's why you've got to seek God. So you got to have that. You ever, been, you ever see like on, the, on bridges, they have these signs that, that tell you the limitations of, of how much weight that bridge can handle? Um, I hope you pay attention to those, especially if you drive something big. Here's, a, here's an example of that. So here's a bridge. It says, warning, two-ton weight limit. Now, there's a truck that did not heed that warning. That's more than two tons. And so he thought, he could, oh, I'll, go, I'll go across this bridge with this big weight, and it got destroyed. Let me just tell you this. There are a lot of marriages that are just like this. Because they expect, they expect that this relationship, that this person can handle this need for love that I have in my life. When they were never created, they're just, they can only handle so much. Like if, if I could, if they let me, you know, when I do, I don't do many weddings uh, now, but if, if I could, in, when I, in doing a wedding, no one ever let me do this, but if I could do this, I would, I'd take a, a magic marker and write on their forehead, will not sustain the weight of my soul. So when they're sitting here all happy, like doing their vows and getting ready to kiss, they'd see on each, for, for, on each other's foreheads, just like this sign, warning will not sustain the weight of your soul. But we go into relationships expecting people to sustain the weight of our soul. And they're never meant to. 
And so if you're, the only way for you to be the spouse that your spouse needs is you've got to see God. You've got to have this, this, this need for love and affirmation and security not to become from another person, but to become. So if you want, if you want to, from this day forward to seek, your spouse, to seek God first, and to make everything second. In fact, I would love for people to change their, I would love for us to change our vernacular in this church. I can't do everything in everybody else, but maybe we can change our vernacular. So we have this thing like, I, have you found the one? Like, you know, you never believe it. I was at the mall today, and I think I found the one, that, that language. There's no human being who could be, God is your one. God is your one. The best a spouse could be is your two. So maybe we could change the language to, hey, you'll never believe it. I was at the mall today. I think I might have found my two. Like, <laughs> And here's a statement for, if, for those who are not married and you hope to be married, here's my encouragement to you, that you would seek your one while waiting for your two. That you would seek, and then if you're married, to keep seeking your one as you are also dedicated and loving your two. God is our one. God is always our one. If you want to do relationships well, if you want to be the kind of person who loves like Christ, who is giving and has this space where there's this kind of affection, Seek God first. Secondly, it's because it's the only way to attract the spouse uh, that I want to attract and maintain that attraction. The only, way, the only way that you'll be able to attract the kind of spouse you want to attract and maintain that attraction is if you seek God now. The, 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 the greatest level of connection and intimacy and unity that you'll have with a person is a person who shares your center. And what I mean by that is what is your main thing? Your main thing. And so in, in seeking God and making him your main thing, you're going to be way more likely to, to track someone who's also seeking God. Because we have in this culture, we have all these secondary things that, we, that, we, that, are, like, um, that, are, that are surface things that we think are the things that are going to make our relationships really go and really last. And so it's all about the attraction. It's all about you know, falling in love in this moment. And it's, there's this big myth out there. It's probably one of the biggest myths in culture is that you need romantic love in order to be a whole person. And until you, read the, until you meet the right person, you'll never, ever live a fulfilled life. And so all the, you know, any Disney movie is like this. Any romantic comedy, it doesn't matter which one. They're all the same. They all have the basic... Plot line, you have these two people um, who are like on different sides of the world, so to speak, and it's like improbable that they'll ever get together. And, but somehow, through the hour and a half, against all odds, they get together at the very last minute. And the getting together is how the story ends, and they lived happily ever after. The prince met her princess, his princess, and they lived happily ever after. They finally got together at the end of the movie and they lived happily ever. Now, what's funny, and by funny, I mean really sad, is that like, if there's ever a sequel to that movie, they show them being married, and they're totally bored. Like, and now the tension is like, we've lost our love, and like, how do we get this magic? But they were never in love in the first place. Um, it's infatuation. Psychologists will tell you that infatuation lasts about 18 months. And there are a lot of marriages that find their, uh, their death about two years. Uh, two years and then eight years, and uh, and the reason and then when uh, at what do you call it empty nest when they when the kids leave the house, that two year period is where the infatuation ends. It's like oh I don't you know there's not this magic thing anymore, Be- and that's the reason because our attraction is so surfacey. The things that we look for are so surfacey. I'm just so 
I kind of want to debunk this compatibility as a deceiver. And I'm not like knocking like eHarmony or anything like that, but we put all these things on there. They're like all these, sec- you, know, are, you know, do you like to play tennis? And, you know, you know, what do you, you, know, what, you know, what do you like to do in your spare? Like all these things that really don't matter. And then all the, oh, they like this too. And, you know, they, oh, they like this, this restaurant. You know, we have the same taste in music and, and all these things that really don't, I mean, my wife and I could not be more different. Um, we are very, very different. She's into beauty. I'm into efficiency, right? And so like when we got married, like I, my, my, my dream pad was a, a black leather couch, a, a, a big screen TV with, with stereo, and, and, and one bed with one blanket. Now, here's the real key, one pillow, are you, all right? So I didn't, I didn't have like a coffee table. I just turned a trash can upside down. And uh, and I didn't have like, so for me, it's like, and I, because I valued efficiency. So like when I moved, all I needed was a hatchback, a bungee cord in about 15 minutes and I could move, right? I didn't need anybody to help me. But like my wife, when you like, now when we move, like she needs a U-Haul just for all of her pillows. And so like, <laughs> and so like in the, she's just like, she's like, don't you see the beauty in this like mile high stack of pillows on the bed? I'm like, no, I don't see the beauty. I see it's not very efficient. Like I, how do you? How do you, like, you can't, it's, it's impossible for me to make, the, in fact, that's our agreement. I've been married 18 years, I've never made our bed, because I'm like, I don't even know where to put these pillows. Like, I don't even know how this is supposed to work out. I can't do this. And so I've, I've never actually made our bed, and she's, and that's our agreement. And so but she sees the beauty, I see the efficiency. In fact, uh, this, <laughs> this kind of warmed my heart. About two years ago, uh, my, my middle son, Simon, um, you know, I'm, I got up in the middle of the night, and I, and I hear some noise, and he's shivering in his bed. He's laying on top of his covers, and he's shivering in his bed. I go, Simon, get out. Why are you, why are you outside the covers? And he looks, at, and he kind of is like, because I didn't want to make my bed. <laughs> and I was just like, my boy. <laughs> like a, I feel you, man. So I was just like, yeah, I, I totally get that. <laughs> or even like, like, or like, the, like our bathroom, well, we have our, the, the, the amount of soap in our bathroom like rivals Bed Bath & Beyond. Like it's just the inventory that we have. There's like a bar of soap for everybody, but there's one for your face, there's one for your, your arms, and then a different one for your feet and your legs and your hair. And if it's Tuesday, you have this soap, and if it's Wednesday, soles, you know, big bars of soap, little bars of soap, soap with holes in it, and just like all these different, like I had one bar of soap for everything. Like, for my body, for my hair. If like the floor got dirty, I'd use that bar. So I mean, it's just like, why do you need all these different soaps? Well, she sees beauty in that and I'm looking for efficiency. And like the, you know, the diet thing, like she, you know, she is basically a vegetarian when we got married. And if, and if my apartment complex would let me, I'd have a cow chained up outside. Like just <laughs> Like, that was how that goes. And I remember when we first, she would, she'd have all these, like, stir-fry meals and noodles. Like, that was her thing, stir-fry noodles. And, like, we're sitting down for a meal, and she brings out chopsticks. I'm like, listen, guys don't do chopsticks. You can't get enough food in your mouth with chopsticks. Like, you need, like, a ladle. Bring out, like, a ladle for me to eat with. So we had all these differences. She sees beauty and everything, and, and I see efficiency. And, and they're, they're, you know, she's very artistic. I'm very into business, and like, you know, I, I'm into balancing the checkbook. Um, she's into unbalancing the checkbook. I mean, there's all these like, <laughs> there's all these like really differences. And on the outside, like, we would never meet each other on eHarmony. Like, it just would have never ever happened. But here's what we share. Here's what we share, and this is important. Our our center has been since we've been married 
and it is today, is that we want to seek God. That's the main thing. Everything else is so secondary. Because here's what happens. If you, if you choose something temporary, if you just choose something peripheral and don't choose like what is actually sin, what will happen is two years, you'll be infatuated and you'll love this person. You'll be all excited about this person. But two years into the relationship, you'll realize the person you're closest to isn't him, isn't her. Because you don't share your main thing. And there is no intimacy. There is no closeness. If you want to attract the spouse and maintain that attraction, seek God. Make it obvious. Really go for it. And you'll find someone who wants to seek God as well. And then finally, the the last reason why you need to seek God, and this is how it's going to make your marriage better, is because marriage is a vehicle, not a destination. If you're married now, or you hope to be married, just know this, that marriage is a vehicle. It's not a destination. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians 5, Paul says this. Therefore, you probably have heard this in weddings before. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here it is. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What Paul is saying is that your, the marriage relationship is just a sign. It's a symbol. It's not the substance. Are you tracking with that? So, I mean, C.S. Lewis says this way, that marriage is like this ray of sunshine that you can feel on the back of your neck and you could see it casting a shadow, but it's not the sun. The source is back there. Or like if you have a picture, you have a picture of someone, a picture of someone you know, on your phone or you know, if you actually have like a physical you know, picture in an album. It, it points to a person that you know. But if the person's in the room, you don't need the symbol or the shadow anymore because you have the substance. And Paul is saying that marriage is like that, that our our marriages point to a much, much more significant reality, namely Christ and the church, that Christ is the source of all love and joy. And the love you were created for is not the love of another human being, but the love that you were created for is found in the context of a relationship with Christ and his family, his body, the church. Now, I'm going to say some things here that I need you to stay with me. So A, you don't think I'm making this up, and B, thinking I'm dogging on marriage. So I want you to hang with me, because this will either transform your life, it could confuse you, or maybe even make you mad. But according to Scripture, relationships in Christ are more permanent, they're more precious than even our own flesh and blood. Not because I say so, because let me show you what Jesus says. Matthew 22, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor give into marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Angels in heaven are single. What he's saying, he's saying like your life here is, 80, is an 80-year window, but eternity is billions and billions of years. So I'm like, man, wouldn't it be amazing to be married for 60 years? Wouldn't that be phenomenal? It is like a little, small little blip in the, in the broader history of time. When I'm in heaven, uh, I won't be married to my wife anymore. Marriage is temporary. It'll give way to the relationship to which our marriage points to, which is Christ and the church. It's, it's a pic, we have the picture in marriage, but we'll have the substance there. And uh, Tim Keller says this, marriage only gives you a sign of foretaste of the future kingdom of God. So this is maybe, and I often wonder, and you may be wondering this too, um, with your spouse, you know, what will it be like when I see Rachel in heaven? we won't be married anymore. I mean, will I like, you know, like, will I give her a wink and say, hey, remember when? Like, what, what, like, 
Like, what will the, how will that go? Like, what, and, and, and actually, if I think about it, I'll be tempted to be sad. And I'll be sad because, well, to be honest with you, because I, I put a lot of, <laughs> I love my marriage. I love my wife. I love, I love her. And it's just like, how could anything be better than this? I've got good news, brothers and sisters. There's something way, 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 way better. And this marriage thing is just a foretaste. It's just, it's, just a, it's just a picture of something in the future. So I don't know what our relationship will be like in heaven, but here's what I do know. We'll be closer in heaven than we are here. I know that our relationship in heaven will be more rewarding than it is here. And this has massive, massive implications. Um, or check this one out. Let me show you this one first. Matthew 28. Excuse me, Matthew 12. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus just had this knack of just like creating a disturbance, like just turning everything upside down of going against the grain. So yes, he loved his mother. Yes, he loved his brothers, but he wants us to know that all these things are temporary. And his focus was those he was calling out for himself. He was calling out a new family where single people in Christ or anyone without even blood relatives at all are full-fledged members of a family on par with all others. That the ultimate family, the family that matters is the family of Christ and his bride, his church that is eternal. And the relationships that we have on earth, as important as they are, as, as amazing as they are, and even the priority we should give them are nothing compared to the relationships that we'll have forever. Let me show you one more before I apply this. Luke eleven twenty seven. He said these things. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, blessed is the, is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. But he said, blessed rather are those who keep the word of God. So there, she's trying to like say how amazing your family is. Like, man, you must have been raised right. By the way, <laughs> um, I love when people say amen, like you should do that. In fact, I'm like, if, if, if you think I say something good, hey, you're on the right track, brother, like, you know, that's encouraging for me. But I could, ne- this, this would be really awkward. If you ever, if I'm ever preaching and you were like, that's really good. If you ever said, you know, blessed is the womb which bore you and the breast of which you nurse. If you ever said that to me, like out loud back, like that would be a little awkward. So, it, but saying amen, saying like you're on the right track, brother, all those things are good. You don't need to say that. But anyway, but what he's pointing to, he's saying, look, you're, you're saying that this must be a re, like your, your relationship with your mother and your, man, that, how awesome is that? And he's saying, look, here's what's really awesome. What's really awesome is the family that I'm creating now and forever that will last for eternity. These relationships are, and this is amazing. This is, this is why this is so huge. This is so huge. It means that happiness and self-worth are not dependent upon you being loved romantically. That your life is not, whether you're married or single, once married, not married anymore, never be married, whatever it is, it won't even move the needle on your happiness being married or single. There are a lot of people who are single who want to be married. There's a lot of people who are married who want to be single. And I need to be in a different circumstance. But what this is saying, it actually doesn't even matter. In fact, that's, and Paul, I mean, he's not belittling marriage and I don't want you to think I'm belittling marriage. But what he's saying, that that's not the point. 
That what the point is, is that it's about God and his church and his people. And it's about his family. It's about what he's doing on earth. In fact, what he says, to the, what he says um, um, in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about how they're gifts. Let me show you what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 7. He says, however, each man or woman has his own gift from God. So these is all from God. One in this manner and, and another in that. And then he says later on, speaking about marriage and singleness, only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. So what he's saying is like, hey, you know, if you're married, you know, be married for the glory of God. If you're single, be single for the glory of God. And he uses the word gifts. He's saying that marriage is a gift and being single is a gift. This is huge because that word gift there is the word is in the Greek word charismata, charisma, excuse me, and um, charisma, and where we get charismatic. And, it, and it's the word that means spiritual gift. It's where we get the word spiritual gift, you know, preaching and teaching and administration and, and serving and, and hospitality and words of knowledge and, you know, all the spiritual gifts. But the real meaning of that word is spiritual empowerment. Like the literal meaning is spiritual empowerment, that God gives you gifts like teaching or administration or a gift of mercy for spiritual empowerment to do his will. Well, being single and being married are the same thing. What are they ultimately? Are they for your happiness? No, not ultimately. Ultimately, it's spiritual empowerment, whether for a season or permanently, to serve his kingdom. And see, we have this thing where it's just like, and I know it's, it's the worst, in the, it's in culture, but it's even worse in the church. I just you know, apologize for, on behalf of everyone. That it's just kind of like, you know, if, there's, if you're not married yet, there's like somehow there's something wrong with you. Like, you know, well, you just need to like, you know, just work on your character. You know, like, you know, when, once your attitude gets different, you know, somebody, you know, wear more makeup or, you know, something. Like, you just like, there's something that you need to do differently. And it's like, you know, like marriage is, is like on the, you know, like you're climbing up the ladder. You know, I had one guy, he's, he's this one guy, he's like in his early 30s, he just got so tired in his church. Like, you know, all these old ladies, you know, every time there was a wedding, these old ladies would come up to him, squeeze his cheek and say, don't worry, you'll be next. He's got so sick of it. He's like, you know what? I'm going to start going to funerals and going up to him and say, don't worry, you'll be next. And uh, <laughs> no, I, did, I said, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't, that's not, it's not a good thing to do, but like, it, but it's true. It's like what we do. It's like, hey, you know, like it's, it's like the, you're like climbing up this ladder. It's like, Paul's like, that's nonsense. In fact, he says, I wish that you, I wish everyone was like me. If anything, he says, it's almost better to be, you almost get the idea that he's thinking it's better to be single. Because there are advantages to being single. There's a, there's a season that God has you, well, there is an advantage, like time. You have time to do things. You know, people ask me, like, what are your hobbies? I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? You mean like, what do my hobbies used to be? Like, what it, like, you know, I'm with, I, I'm in the kiddie pool. Like, that's what I do. Like, I don't, that's, by the way, it's very important if you're ever in a kiddie pool to, to, to identify that you do have kids in the kiddie pool. I've, I learned that the hard way. Like my wife, I came and like switched out for my wife and, and all of a sudden I'm just some guy, some 40 year old guy shows up in the kiddie pool. It's like, well, those are my kids. So anyway, um, so yeah, you know, I don't have hobbies. I have kids. You know, that's, those are my hobbies. And there are advantages to being, there's, there's a gift that comes in being married with kids. There, there's a spiritual empowerment 
that I have in being married, that there are things that God wants to do in me that I could only get through my marriage and through being a father to my kids. It's in, and there's only thing, there's, there's a spiritual empowerment that I have in being married that allows me to minister the way that I minister. There, there's a spiritual empowerment. There's spiritual empowerment, though, too, in being single. There are things that God wants to do. If you're single, there are things that God wants to do in your life that he can only do in you as a single person. There are things that God can only do through you as a single person. My hope, whether you're married or you're single, is you wouldn't see it as, as either like a, some kind of social ladder to climb, number one, but number two, that you wouldn't see it ultimately for yourself anyway. That you would see that, these, that this is just a blip, that your marriage or your status is just a blip on the radar of eternity, and that, that, that really, whether your, your state as a married person, your state as a single person is a gift, is a spiritual empowerment for God to do things in you and for God to do things through you. Ecclesiastes 3 says, it is, uh, 1 through 14 summarize says, there's a time for everything. There's a season for everything. Everything has a purpose under heaven. I'm going to c- conclude with this, this story, this testimony of someone that you probably know or at least heard about, Joni um, Erickson uh, Tata. She was in a diving accident that left her a, a paraplegic for life. This was in um, uh, 1967. And while all of her um, friends were getting ready for college, she was fighting for her life. And she quickly became frustrated and bitter at God because of her circumstance, because she was stuck in a wheelchair, unable to move her arms and unable to move her legs. And she just laid in bed for days, just kind of staring at the ceiling, asking God, begging God to change her circumstances. God, you know, I wanted, I, you know, I had this life, I had this dream, I had, the, I had these things I wanted to do. Even things for you, God. There's things I want to do for you, God. If you change my circumstance, I can do these things I want to do for you. There's things I could do in my life. And that prayer never had answered. And then in her own words, she says, there was a day, though, however, when God rekindled faith in her heart. And she had a new perspective of her circumstances. And she decided to no longer be handicapped by her situation, but she looked at it as a gift and an opportunity to serve God. So she began... uh, um, serving people who were hurting and helpless. And through her ministry, she's literally helped millions and millions of people and inspired millions and millions more. And she was asked recently, after all these years, what's kept her going despite her obvious physical circumstances and challenges? She said this, this is the only time in history when I get to fight for God. This is the only part of my eternal story when I'm actually in the battle. Once I die, I'll be in celebration mode, in a glorified body, in a whole different set of circumstance. But this is my limited window of opportunity, and I'm going to fight the good fight for all I'm worth. Let me ask you, single, married, divorced, widow, whatever, are you using the season of life that God has you in? Do you see it as spiritual empowerment to fight the good fight for all it's worth. Eternity is a really long time. Your, your, your state being married, don't put too much stock in it. In fact, Paul says things like, you know, deal with the world as if you had no dealings with the world. And then he says, you know, be married as if you're not married. I mean, he, you know, he's obviously not belittling marriage, but he's just saying, look, it's just temporary. And there's something that's eternal. It's even, it's even better than marriage. And so those of us who are married, not to use it as, as, as a way of just like, okay, I've got to like 
feed myself, my own happiness, about my own joys, my own. No, 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 no. Your marriage is a gift to the body of Christ. Your marriage and your family is spiritual empowerment in this season to fight the good fight. If you're single, this is God's ordained season for you. He's, he's brought you this season. There's things that he wants to do in you and through you so that you can fight the good fight. Why don't we stand?